0: So, this will be the very last week, so we're going to cover the last 120 pages uh, today. Did you bring your book? Oh, oh, I'd hope the very last week. Okay, that's good. I shouldn't bang on you, sorry. Um, any questions when we start? I know we, we decided last week we'd look at 225, I think through 238. 238 and a half, Uh, sectarianism is where we stopped right before there. Any questions on that section or comments or, Jen's read the whole book so she's all teed up to, do you have any, well we can do that too, yeah, well on that note, uh, uh, let us pray. No, I wonder, this is a, we could just have the Eucharist. That wouldn't be so bad. That would be a nugget and a half of wisdom. I wonder, real honestly, I, I, I found this to be helpful. And as I said last week, it's always nice when you open up a book. And, you know, there are things that maybe maybe they're nuances. Maybe you don't notice them. You know, I, I get paid to read stuff like this and, and notice what's not right or what's right or what we disagree with or what we agree with. That's just the nature of the beast. And sometimes, real honestly, I wish um, I wish that wasn't so. I wish I wasn't always looking for what was wrong. I mean, I can remember... I've never been able to listen to a sermon, really for the past six or seven years, without thinking the entire time, without just resting in the liturgy and receiving the gifts. Now, uh, on a good note, that doesn't happen here. Well, it doesn't... I I can't remember the last time it's happened here, but outside of this place, you spend the the whole 20 minutes in most cases. You know, here it's six or eight. Uh, Someplace else it's 20... Listening for what's right, what's wrong, what would you have said differently, you know, sometimes you don't listen at all. Uh, However, I wish that wasn't so. I wish you could go someplace and just rejoice in the liturgy. But in reading a guy like Peterson, there's more to rejoice in than there is to argue with. So I wonder after reading this, if he's got a point and if maybe we've lost a sense of what it really means to be community. I mean, that's his, that's his basic premise is, in a culture that is wholly individualistic, we've lost a sense of what it means to be part of a community. And not just um, not just a community for community's sake. I mean, I have relatives who say to me they don't want to leave a church that real honestly is, is, it's Missouri Synod, but it doesn't have the liturgy and it doesn't deliver the gifts and it, um, it's not Lutheran. It's certainly not Lutheran. It's a Lutheran in name. But they don't leave because they like the folks that are there. That's, I don't think that's the kind of community he's talking about where you go just because the folks are nice or you enjoy community for community's sake. What he's talking about is it's a group of people gathered together who are holy people, freed people, and more importantly, changed people for a purpose. Okay? I mean, the Lord just, you've got to understand, and this is sometimes hard for, for a Lutheran, Lutherans fall in this big trap of saying forgiveness is kind of Jesus' last great word. So he forgives you of all your sins, and that's great, and now the rest, you know, is history. But it takes a complete paradigm shift to say forgiveness is actually Jesus' first word. He forgives you, and then you've got to be ready to listen and be ready to act because he's got so much more he's got to tell you. Okay, yeah. Stuart Crown. Not, a, not a thank you, no, I shouldn't say
1: that. It was actually specifically written to her. Yeah. Uh, and it was two, almost two whole parts of the card. And it really? said um, something about you're about to embark on something amazing at this place. And, but we, and he was talking about what's amazing at Trinity. This is a tiny little church. Yeah. And he, he talked about how we're forming you to go out into God's economy, the, the economy of right. God's creation. Right. And I thought, a community. Yes. Like how Claire's going to be trained by a, a lot of non-Christians. Mm-hmm. There might probably some Christians there, too. But it was a really interesting way to think about what the ch- how the church shapes you, too, to take yep. those gifts you're going to be giving that are, are of this world. Yeah. Or the gifts you've been born with. And I, I just never thought about it as God's economy. of You're, you're going to yep. be a participant in what he's set up here, even though it's flawed. That, yeah. Yeah. are talking about but yeah I, I was thinking about how that's what the church can do for claire what
0: stanford will not do for her as great a exactly. as it is this little place with these you know what 80 members right you know, right i hope shape her in, in a way to use what she learns in right the to, uh, two things. that um, it, trinity palo alto right He's very conservative uh, stuart crown is the pastor yes. i actually that was my adoption congregation when i was at the seminary and that and St. John Wheaton are kind of the two places people want to go for Vicarage. And they said, I remember meeting with the, the director of Vicarage, and he said, well, do you want to go to Palo Alto or Wheaton? I chose Wheaton. Uh, some days I think I should have gone to Palo Alto. Um, <laughs> but it is, it's a nice church. It's a very, very good church. He's a good pastor. Um, so that would be a great place to go. This whole notion of the economy, however, is very ancient. And actually, this, this actually fits in well with what he's saying about community here. In the, and we gave this to the new members on Saturday, and I don't know if they all caught it, but the ancient church always spoke in terms of economy or how God rules his cosmos. And they always, they always thought on these two, these two kind of planes, the relationship between God and creation. And if you were here for Bible study with Busher, he said basically the same thing. And the relationship from beginning to end. And you remember at the center of his creation was man and woman, right? Any of you here for this? You remember this a little bit? This is the economy of salvation. This is how the Lord runs his creation. This is the icon of everything he's about. You remember all throughout uh, creation, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then when he creates man and woman, he says, it's tov ma'od, which means it is very good. Okay? So everything changes. He creates with eight words and everything changes. Man and woman in the middle. But once Satan comes along, the economy is changed because now you have Satan essentially as God himself. And who comes next? The woman and finally the man. So the entire cosmos is turned upside down. In the fall. Or, or as the father said, the apple is Satan well, not the apple. The fruit is Satan's sacrament. This is what he delivers to his cosmos. And he turns everything upside down. But then when you have Jesus, and this is what, what uh, Peterson gets at the Father sends the Son who redeems you, church, and then sends you out into the world. This is the new economy. Which is precisely what Stuart Crown said to Claire. The father has sent the son who's about to send you out in the world to, to essentially uh, rejoice in and, and reside in uh, his economy or his community. And that's what it's all about. I don't think we have a sense of this, real honestly. I don't think there's any sense of this. Yeah? about forgiveness, to see it as a. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Just to change that whole trajectory. We always say forgiven from. Right. So just to sw- swap it out. Swap it out. I mean that's it's
0: over, that it's done, forgiven and now like, what are we forgiving for? Same mm-hmm. way of that, but it's exciting. It is yeah. I mean it's not just the Lord having his way with you. That's a very good your comment is essentially, um it's not forgiveness from, but it's forgiveness for something. I mean it's forgiveness towards something. Yeah. Towards something. Yeah. Towards something. And that's the way the church has always talked about um, what it means to be forgiven and then what it means to be sanctified for something else. So it's not just about the Lord having his way with you, meaning he forgives you. It's also about the Lord then having best possible use of you. And those two things are not separate acts. The great Lutheran tragedy is you separate those two things and say, He's had his way with me. Now, whether or not he gets best possible use out of me, that's another story. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. But he's had his way with me, so I'm going to heaven. If you base your theology, if you base your Christian life on whether or not you're getting into heaven, you've got it all wrong. That's not what it's about. It is not merely about you being saved from your sins. And think about how how miserable a life that could be if you live every day thinking to yourself, am I going to heaven? Or... uh, Thank God, I'm just going to heaven. I just I, I just went out to see um, a gentleman who's dying of throat cancer, and probably won't probably won't live more than 20 days. I mean, they kind of said we don't, we can't give you any time frame. He's got a trach. you know. He's it's just a mess. Can't speak. I did his wife's funeral, and he said, uh, "Will you come out and see me?" He's actually not one of our members. He moved back from Florida, Missouri Synod Lutheran, but. Uh, so, I went out to see this guy, and the night before I went he, he wouldn 't he said to his sister i wouldn 't fall asleep because I was afraid if i died i wouldn 't go to heaven." He actually stayed up because he didn 't want to sleep and then I gave him the supper and did the accommodation of the dying and The next day, he told his sister, "I slept like a baby but that 's what it 's all about it 's more than just am I getting to heaven?" It's, am I getting to heaven, and how can the Lord use me along the way, not only to help others get there, but to make this life as joy-filled as possible. I mean, that's the difference. If you're just trying to get into heaven, you're going to get there, but life is going to be miserable. But there's more to it than that. Okay? Comments, questions? Yeah. Yeah, right. Mm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. anyway,
2: you know like more making space
0: Yeah. Okay, well, I got with this spring guy. And it was just like he really wanted to talk and I really wanted to get here, but I was told to stay. Right. You know, listening to you. And it was, you know, for a situation, but it was like this space. Right. I was thinking about you. We we're just waiting for you to come. Yeah, I'm. I'm always surprised at how eager people are just to talk to you. I mean, how eager they are, just especially postmoderns. I don't know if it's different for moderns, but postmoderns are. I mean, they can have a conversation with the wall. <laughs> I mean, they can, and they're they're eager to engage other people in conversation. I can't tell you how many times standing in the Starbucks line, you know, and part of it is if you're a pastor and you're dressed like a pastor, they they instantly think. Sometimes there's something safe about that, or sometimes there's something. Uh, terribly dangerous about that, uh, but how eager people are just to have a conversation. Hey, where do you work? What, what's going on? The worst is when you get your hair cut. I now take a magazine when I sit in the chair to get my hair cut, because that's one time I don't want to talk to anyone, and I go to, I go to, it used to be Big League Barber in Fort Wayne. Uh, <laughs> you're laughing. This is, like, this is like the joy of my life. It's Sport Clips down here. I bought the season ticket, which gives you a $9 discount on every haircut. So if you, But you get to watch Sports Center while they cut your hair. But then they decide they want to talk to you, which is, that's not why I paid the $21. I paid $21 to watch SportsCenter where you cut my hair. So now I just take a magazine, and one woman said to me, she, I'm almost asleep, and she wakes me up and says, you look like you're almost going to fall asleep. <laughs> Hello? That's why I paid the $21. So, no, and, and you know, and, and that's a little awkward. When they say to you there, what do you do, or how was how work today? They think, they think you're like this business, how was work today? Because I never go in on a collar, that's just awkward. How was business today? I'm like, well, people want to screw you, damn sinners, you know how it works. And they look at you like, where do you work? And I say, well, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a parish pastor. And then all of a sudden, conversation stops. <laughs> so, there is an advantage <laughs> no, I have actually. <laughs> oh, why? I I'm just curious. Is he is that all just an act or is he really I think all of it's an act. I thought it was. Yeah. Father Guido? Is that a is that a is that a theological? Yeah, I, I think that. He's not a real. That's going to be my job someday. <laughs> yeah. Leave the ministry stand up all right <laughs> look at page uh, look at page 229 if you if you've got your text there to page 229 if you if you actually if you look back at 228 the very first the very first sentence in that second section there I I mean, this is, it's funny, I read this and it's, uh, you know, I can feel this, it's, I know exactly what he's talking about. A few years later, I'd become a pastor and was astonished to find men and women in my congregation yawning. That happens all the time. One guy went to sleep every Sunday. Another person was passing notes, but she was going to get a divorce. Um, Angry teenager, I mean, angry teenager in the back pew reading comic books. I actually had someone in the second pew reading a book while I preached once. Hmm. got in his picture. <laughs> a man would fall asleep considered. and so this kids bought him this thing that when you <laughs> fall
1: asleep it beeps and he said so it got worse because not only it was better when he took all asleep, he right? Instead was it was easy. like throughout the entire thing, like, it <laughs> 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 just like beeped the entire
0: sermon. <laughs> <laughs> That's like. They don't teach you that at seminary, yeah. They don't teach you that at seminary. You think when you come out to the parish, everyone's going to be awake and eager for you to talk? Doesn't work that way. Page 229. It came to me, this is the continuation of the previous page's paragraph, it came to me that holy was to Christian what revolution was to the French in the 18th century. The energy, very Eastern term, it's it's quite odd that he uses it, that created a community of free men and women plunged into a new life. That is what holiness is all about. It's not about meeting a specific moral standard. There are a lot of moral people. There are a lot of people who are very upright. But not a lot of people are actually holy people. And so he's making the the distinction. It's not just about certain outward actions. It's about being granted a new life. And you need to remember that the new life is not something that you've chosen, but it's something that's been given to you as a gift, which he makes very clear um, using the theme of the resurrection. He he resurrects you. He does resurrection to you instead of uh, you seeking the resurrection out. And then the Ma- Gerard Manley Hopkins quote is great: "The dearest freshness deep down things." It's brilliant. The dearest freshness deep down things. That's what it's all about. Okay, holiness is about a fresh start. It's about a new beginning. And beginnings always have an ending. So when you get forgiven, it's not it doesn't end there. It's a beginning whose endings find his culmination when the Lord takes you to be with him, with himself. Okay? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right.
2: I mean yeah in a way we, it's sad that we aren't right we grew up in the thing. right and I wonder like 20
0: years from now you hope that they still maintain mm-hmm. it. but it's really exciting to hear these people just and I I think you're, there is an energy that we we have no sense of when Wenthe was here he was talking about the the Latvian Lutheran Church which was um wasn't able to essentially have pastors for you know, a hundred years nearly. And because they didn't have pastors, they didn't have the Eucharist, which means they understood the ministry. And the day they finally got their pastor back, the line was six hours long to go to the supper. Tell me if you'd wait six hours to go to the Eucharist. There are not many people here that would. Um, but that church understood what it was. There's an energy to that. That's right. Yeah, Kenneth Corby, who just died about a year and a half ago, may his soul rest in peace, said, um, you go to the Holy Supper as if going to your death, so that you can go to your death as if going to the Holy Supper. But if you just take the first part of that, go to the Holy Supper as if going to your death, and you realize that you may not get it next week, that transforms the way you go to the Supper. Just, it just, I mean, the greatest thing as you stand at the altar is to see how eager people are to come to the Eucharist. And some people aren't, you know, kids sometimes. Actually, the younger they are, the more eager they are. There's no one more eager to come to the supper than Emma. That's what it's all. Her week is, is centered around going to the altar. Yeah, I mean, he can't, he, Nathaniel Mueller runs to the altar. He can't get up there quickly <laughs> enough. And he kind of flops down on the rail and has his mouth open like, okay, pastor, I'm ready. I mean, that's just... That's, what, that's how every parishioner needs to be. Some people come up and they're angry and they're peeved and they're whatever. That is not going to the Holy Supper as if going to your death. So, think about that next time. Yeah, Donna. You were referring to page 220 mm-hmm. It was wonderful that, he, that it brought them up. Yeah. And in the middle of the page, in the middle of the page, where his life was at today, oh, Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the end of this page, he mentioned the resurrection. That's right. But it must be really sad for a pastor. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, you know, a part of it, it's like anything else, there's always. You, you see the fruits of your labor in almost every other profession except for in the ministry. I mean, you just don't see it. You don't always see it now. Sometimes you do, and that's always, that's always a joy when someone finally gets it, you know. But a lot of it you won't see, you know, until the Lord returns, and then, you see, then you'll see how you've done. I mean, that's what the Lord says to, to pastors, you know, I'm going to judge your works. That's what people don't often understand, and I think he gets, which you're right, is very comforting to read this he understands that people's lives are at stake and it's in his hands. And I know you'll say it's in God's hands. It is in God's hands. But he's the one to whom they are entrusted. And so if, they don't, if they're not with the Lord, it's on him. You know, when people, I had someone just on Sunday in my face after the baptism because they read the notice in the bulletin and didn't come to the Eucharist. And this was a family member who, of course, wasn't a Lutheran. But what I wanted to say to her was, if you eat this and die, it's on me. I mean, that's what, it's not, only, it's not just about you. It's also about me because I'm making care to make sure that you don't take this to your own damnation. It's the same thing with him. But that is a struggle because you don't see the fruits of your labor here, you know. People still, for 20 minutes, will scream at you in your office. <laughs> that's not the way the church is supposed to be. There's no joy in that. There's no life in that. But I would, I would venture to say many of those folks are the folks that are just hoping to get to heaven. You know? That's right. That's right. And those folks are usually defined by what they hate and not by what they love. I mean, that's the thing. If you understand that the Lord is not only, um, he's not only called you to faith, which just is fancy for saying he's given you Christ... But he's also called you to a life, you begin to see things differently. You don't spend all day wondering about what you hate, you spend all day wondering about what you love. Beth? Right. I I actually, that's a great question. Why are the churches in Russia or in Africa or in Latvia or Lithuania, why are they um, so energized? I think the easy answer is to say they're more charismatic than we are. Like if you go to Africa, when you're in Africa, my guess is, and this is true in, in many, many African countries, but if you go to Ghana or Kenya or wherever, you'll find Lutherans there. You go to a Lutheran service there, and I promise you it will not look the same as it does here. I don't think that should offend you or surprise you. That's their liturgy. If we had a country where we played drums and guitars and that was our formal, reverent type of music, that's what we would do. That's not the country we live in, so we don't do that. For them, that's the way it works. To have, you know... um, Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's the, the, the thing you can't say is they somehow have the spirit more than we do. I actually think at the end of the day, to just say they've somehow got an extra dose of the spirit or they're a bit more charismatic wouldn't be in the way of the gospel. I, I, I do, here's the thing. I think at the end of the day what they do have is they have they have the ministry and they understand it. And as he said here, what's the very first thing he said about giving the Spirit? He references John 20 in the upper room. That's where he starts, which is a reference to the gifted ordination, which he gives to his apostles, which is passed down. We have no sense of that, so it's hard to have a sense of being energized. But because they understand what it means to be church... In submission and obedience to someone who's in authority, who's in submission and obedience to a bishop, who's in submission and obedience to Christ himself, the way the Lord has decided to energize his church just works. That's just what they do. We have no sense of that. I I, I do, yeah. Yeah. I know that. I, I mean, you, you ask Bishop Litkin when he's here, are you more open to the Spirit than Bruzek and Gainik and Nelson? Or, the, or he wouldn't even talk that way. That's not on his radar. He he would say, I'm open to what the Lord does, which is he's put me in place as bishop and I've ordained pastors who now give the gifts to these congregations and they're booming. He's actually very hard-nosed. Yes, he is. He's a very strong man, but I mean, he, he smiles and seems like a teddy but
1: <laughs> He's not. Right. But he, you know, he the
2: way he co- not coaches but trains,
1: yeah, right.
0: pastors and takes his job,
1: ultra and his authority really seriously,
0: and mm-hmm. the authority that
1: they're being placed under. It's interesting. It's interesting to watch this. To be a
0: part of that experience. a little bit. Well, I mean, he he, you know, he walks around with a cope and a mitre and a crozier, and they say that's our bishop. Yeah. If he were to come here, we'd have people leave the congregation. Right. No, yeah. And and in fact, one of a, one of the brightest professors at the at the seminary, who's now the rector in Latvia, uh, Bill Weinrich, once said of the Russian students, they're far better students theologically than our Missouri Synod Lutheran students. I mean, that's just how they, it's all about the Lord and his gifts. It's all about learning theology. It's all about being faithful pastors. Yeah. Yeah. That mm-hmm. yeah. Were that's cool? very true.
3: I mean, it's all about saving for retirement if you can, and you know having the right house is going to appreciate X amount. And I'm, I mean, and it, it's like if we don't do those things, we're doing something wrong. However, it, what it creates it, that we have to be conscious of is a lack of a need for trust in mm-hmm. God because we've got it, we've already it. right economically, and I think that translates that does have some right impact on your spiritual
4: life. yeah. Yeah. I, I I totally agree. I think it's, it's how controlling we are mm-hmm. in our culture. And Jesus Jesus says we'll show that we are his disciples if we love mm-hmm. others, love one another, and if we bear much fruit, and it's hard to do either of those when we're very concerned about
2: controlling mm-hmm.
4: our own lives and how things are going
0: and how it's just there's no room for loving someone else.
2: Love right. Others and to bear fruit. It's right. It's all about how I'm
3: doing. Yeah. I have these little rugrats in my neighborhood. They're so beautiful and so neglected. These little Mexican children. I'm not saying all Mexicans neglect their children, but the people in my neighborhood you need know, to let them play for eight hours on a Sunday outside. And I want to have them in my house, but I don't want my couch wrecked.
4: Mm-hmm. Like,
3: I mean, <laughs> I, I would love to share with them and have them in for cookies and have them be like part of the family.
0: Right. Right. Well, it's all they're all yeah. There are two extremes. I mean, Carol, your dad was a pastor, right? I, I did your did your dad buy life insurance? Because there's a generation of Lutherans who whose parents or or especially pastors wouldn't buy life insurance, kind of under this thing, like we just need to trust the Lord, and that has its own set of problems. I mean, part of that is it's it. Yeah, that's good. So, um, whether you did or not, it good. Yeah. But there are, there's, a, there's a generation of kind of Lutheran pastors who are still alive who would say, I don't have any life insurance because when the Lord wants to take me, if I have to live in a... In, so you have pastors who, you know, the joke is when you die, they, they give your wife $50 in a bunt cake. <laughs> that's, the way, that's the way the church works. like, hey... Th- Thanks for all your service. Here's the bun cake and fifty dollars to the saline. Hope you have a. And so then, pastors' wives move into trailers, and they can't support their families, and they. So there's there are two extremes. You know, you can you can be Uber. You can love yourself more than anything else and have the greatest four hundred one k, but not give anything to the church, or not give anything to your neighbors, and you can not care for your family and not care for anyone, and you're still not being faithful. So it's it's finding. Yeah. Um,
3: and I, I would imagine we'll find the same thing when we're in God, is they're so utterly dependent on God. Mm-hmm. And we really, I mean, it really is an illusion that we feel like we have control. Right. Because it's all an optical illusion because all it takes is one more nine eleven. 11 to have no control. So, but I really think that they live in, a, in, a, in an awareness mm-hmm. of an utter dependency on God
5: Mm-hmm. Even want to acknowledge. Well, uh, we had a we had a thriving rep at our house years ago who told us, you know, because we weren't buying every single sort of disability, like what if you get this, what if you get that, <laughs> you know? It's just like, and John just finally said, you know, listen, if that's what the Lord chooses to do with me, something, you know, He'll work something out. I mean, we right. have life insurance, but it was like there were all these contingencies, like they, they were going through every sort of catastrophic. And, I mean, it was don't want to trust in God too much. <laughs> and that was the time where it was like, okay, goodbye out of my Right. I mean, I, I appreciate the whole like use your common sense mm-hmm. thing, but there comes a point where every penny of John's bumpy paycheck could be spent buying these policies that would ensure that he got this or Mm-hmm. And you know what? It would make life a lot easier if, if I, you know, all of a sudden had five million bucks. If my husband was died in a car accident,
0: then fifty. But does five million bucks ensure me a great life? I don't think that's the point. I don't think that. I don't think that's the point of that's. That's what I'm trying to tell you to avoid. It's not. That's not about. Not about having a great life. It's about being faithful to your family, right. which means. It's it's hard to say you've been very faithful if you've spent all the family's money and you drop dead and they can't have a house or a roof over there. That's not being faithful. Yeah. And to say the Lord will provide is really um that's an empty statement in many respects. I mean that's what people say all the time. Well the, the Lord will provide. Well, yeah, he could have monkeys fly out of my mouth later too, but you know, is he gonna do that? I don't know. So, so what does that mean? <laughs> you don't think that we should our the Lord providing? No, that Here's the point. It's, it takes a complete. This is, this is what was helpful about your comment just a second ago. They have a completely different world view, the Russians, than you do. Here's how, here's how Americans view the Lord and his gifts. We're content with that, but we only flee to the Lord's gifts when something goes terribly wrong. You lose your job, all of a sudden you're in church. Where the Russians... No, I, okay, broad strokes, I realize that. The Russians... There's some people who don't fall into this category, but most of them, and the Africans for sure, it's all about the Lord and His church, and whatever else happens, happens. That's not the way we. That's not. I can't tell you how many people said, "Well, I came back to church because I lost my job." Well, you never should have left church. Do you see? You see the difference? That's the way we were. We only flee to the Lord when things go when things go poorly. Where the Russians flee the flee to the Lord all the time and say, "Whatever happens in the rest of my life happens." Just to say well, I'm, you know, uh, I'm just going to trust the Lord. The Russians would never say that. What they would say is, the Lord has given me insurmountable gifts in the sacrament. I'm going to care for the family, my family the best I can, and you know what, I don't have any money, and so I'm going to do what I can. Yeah. They would never say, I'm just going to trust the Lord. That is, that, that's almost tempting fate. <laughs>
5: And I think the guy at the table was thinking, "Don't trust in the Lord too much." That's what he's thinking. Trusting in the Lord means mm-hmm. that you're going to do nothing and just hope he works. He orchestrates everything to be wonderful, which is not. I don't. I wouldn't see that as.
0: Right. What I'm saying is be faithful. Right. Which, if I was if I was not married, being faithful. I, that's why Roman Catholic priests don't. I mean, they said John Paul II died with a suitcase. That's all he owned. You don't need anything else. But that's not me, and that's not you, and that's not the other folks in the room. So being faithful is recognizing where you're at in life, recognizing what the Lord's given and what he requires of you. If your kids are all in their 40s, your being faithful is going to look different than your faithfulness is right now. If you guys both get killed in the car accident and you've left no money to raise your kids, that's not being, fa- that's not being a parent if John gets hit by a car and his life insurance policy is for two thousand right. bucks, that's not being faithful. Yeah. If you have fifty year old kids and you get hit by a car and your life insurance policy is two thousand bucks, that's being faithful. Mm-hmm. And that's what life is all about. No, it's even people who return to church so at the point that they a Right. It completely I mean I just had this long conversation with this gentleman who his life hell. Right. And he, you know, was talking to me because he saw my cross about, you know, coming back to the Catholic Church and, and it was great and I said, The Lord's celebrating that you're back. Right. But we have to have the conversation of but that's not gonna guarantee that your life's still not gonna be hell. It's gonna be worse. it's looking pretty bad for my wife Right.
4: So it's unfortunate mm-hmm. that how you know because even in like in
3: Africa or in Russia, if they if they lost family, their identity of community is so different than ours. Mm-hmm.
2: They would just totally think of all the, the orphans that are in Africa that are just kind of being swallowed up in other families. Right. But culturally, we just isolate ourselves in our
0: thinking that we're self-sufficient, and it's one of our biggest damnations to even getting people to be open to the gospel. That's right. Right. And in Africa in and other, specifically third world countries, everything is driven by honor and shame. Mm-hmm. Everything is driven by honor and shame. And that's not the way it is here. I mean, your kid shames you and you just hope no one else finds out. You're, you know, you're whatever, pick your thing. He gets pregnant, she gets pregnant, he gets someone else pregnant, whatever. In Africa, you would never do that because that would shame the family. And it's all about bringing honor to the family. You know, patra familia. It's all about bringing honor to your father. Uh, which is a very biblical way of thinking. The time that Jesus lived, it's all about honor and shame. Which is why Mary's pregnancy is so catastrophic. That brings shame to her family. It's why Joseph sought to divorce her quietly. We have no sense of that. You know, remember who you are. You send your kids out. Remember who you are. You're a, you know, you're a Williamson link. That doesn't mean they're going to, Live a certain way. We hope they do, but you send your kid out in Africa and say, "Remember who you are," and that means something. And that's what the church has tried to do: is return to a kind of a culture of honor and shame, where you say, "Remember who you are." You've actually got a name. That's why the name is everything. You've got a name, and you remember that, and so you don't do certain things. But in our culture, I, th- I would
3: say our kids, if I were to make that statement, out, mm-hmm. I remember who you are, They would
0: receive that as law. Mm-hmm exactly i
4: don't know are oh, you still know, know, like chinese on culture or whatever well but i mean i'm
3: speaking i think i think in other cultures an as in, you're you're wearing the family name proudly right
0: Uh, St. Augustine once said, be what you see and receive what you are. Now that's a little confusing, but the point is, who do you see? Jesus. Be what you see and receive what you are. You're God's child. You receive that. And that, you know, I'm, o- I'm always ranting and raving about the mystical union, but that's what it's all about. It's about realizing you don't belong to yourself. You're not your own, as the scriptures say. But you actually, in fact, you're not, you don't even belong to someone else. You are someone else. Not just like you belong to Jesus, but you're actually Jesus. You're actually Jesus. Just like you're Jeff and Jeff is you. Do you think that, that there was any correlation between the Which can be scary. <laughs> <laughs> that the early church held all things in common and the fact that they were so... Completely. Well, yeah, part of, the reason, part of the reason why people, one of the main reasons why people joined the church is because the external culture was so oppressive and hard to live in. And they joined the church to be freed from that. And the way the church really grew was in part because they gave people a safe haven. They gave people a place to come and be who they were, woman, man. I mean, sometimes sometimes these, um, you know, we talk all the time about gender qualities and gender specific i mean i the early church didn't have a sense of that they didn't say um they weren't so concerned about you're a woman and this is what you look like, or you're a man and this is they were just like we're the people of god here we are we've given some things for men to do and some things for women to do and we live together in community and as Acts says they share all things in common which first and foremost is the eucharistic food that's what it's all about You go to Africa, when you go to Africa today, I guarantee at the procession of the gifts at the altar, I can almost guarantee, you know, in Catholic churches, they bring up the bread and wine. Lutherans do that too, just not here. If you go to Africa, I can almost guarantee during the procession of the gifts, if they do it, someone will bring up a chicken, someone will bring up some eggs, someone will bring up some money, because that's what they have to offer. Receive the gifts of our hands, the Catholic Mass says. And that's what it's all about. So you have Bishop Obari, six feet six, 320 pounds, big miter, dark, dark African man. I mean, it's, he's, be- he's beautiful. And he receives these chickens, and he receives the eggs, and he receives the cheese, and he receives the wine and the bread. And that's how they survive. They share everything so community can flourish. But don't you think, or do, do you think we can't, you can can't even get people the to tithe. Yeah, I'm I'm sure there is, but we're try- what we're trying to do is say, I mean, what, what all this sounds like is we're saying their community isn't as profound as it is because they're all poor. More. I know that's not what you're saying, but that's that's the way it's perceived. Or their community so, is so more... If we all, like, sold everything, threw it in a pot, and started living as a real community. Do you think that the, 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 from the outside, because I don't think that we're not... It might look like a cult. That, but it probably would. to some Yeah. Yes, but the, but you don't have to do all that to have that kind of joy. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean agree. that that the point, here's the thing. I mean, I'll just be blunt. Yeah. The point is we get people who come to church and who don't want to be here and who don't contribute to the common good and who don't want to be at the altar and who talk ill of other people. That's you just you clear that stuff up and you have more joy than the early church ever had. You don't have to sell everything, you still live in your house, have your family. I mean that's it's not what it's about. If we I mean w- I mean, it is like, this gets back to Donna's point about how how can you look out on the congregation and know people don't do what you say. It is not hard. It is not hard to be a Christian. Everyone says it's hard to be a Christian. It's not hard. Just do what the Lord says. That's all it is. He says do this, and we say, no, we're going to do something else. Well, then go someplace else because that's not what we're all about. The early church would not have put up with that. The Africans don't put up with that. The Russians don't put up with that and that's why community flourishes because they're a community in the most biblical sense of the term. It's interesting though the community doesn't put up with that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I mean, here's what would be great is if someone one of you kind women stood up and said, "Oh boy, we didn't make the budget. We probably all need to tithe." That's what Africa does. <laughs> that's what the early church did. If you weren't with them, you were against them. That's why the church is the body of Christ. Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. It's the same thing in his church. If you're not for the church, you're against the church, and therefore you're against Christ. You can't, I I am convinced, you cannot come to church and say, I'm a Christian, but I don't speak well of other people. I don't tithe. I don't come every weekend. I don't want to receive the Lord's gifts. You are not a Christian. Or if you are, you're very, it's, it's a broken Christian. And I don't mean broken like people have, sometimes people have hurt you and then we need to help you out. But I mean broken as in you've shattered the image of what a Christian is all about. I mean, there's no, this, this it makes my blood pressure rise, just thinking, because Africa doesn't have that problem. They just don't do it, because they understand what community is all about. Yeah, right? <laughs> Uh
4: huh. Yeah. Which is just like here. Mhm. I mean, there's a bunch of liars and a bunch of gossipers. That's right. A bunch of Human beings. Mhm. <laughs> I mean, we're all human beings, and he just goes through and he says, but and he lists all, all the different ways that they are love. Mhm. Right.
5: Yeah, right. Forget about Siberia.
2: Yeah. This is where we live. Mm-hmm. This is who I am. This is who you are. Mm-hmm. This is who you are. These are the gifts that God has given you.
0: Right. Smile and rejoice and right. use them. Right. And just go out and use them. Right. Um I think you're you're exactly right, especially about John's epistles. I I did my uh, my MDiv thesis on Augustine's sermons on First John, and for Augustine and for John, love is something that's in car- I mean, it's something that's physical, it's tangible, not just a feeling or an emotion. And and for John, you can have you can have people that don't love you, and yet because love is physical and tangible and concrete that urges you to love them in such a way that they become lovable themselves and love you in return. That's the goal of 1 John. We have nasty people, and but we're going to love them in such a way that they begin to love us back. And, and that, and you are right. At the end of the day, that's our job. I mean, that's why we're Christians. Um, and so you love people even who don't love you. And they may never love you. They may never, yeah. Well, Jesus says, expect nothing in return. You should expect to be hated. So... Donna, do you have something? I was those are some of us are very Right. hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah. It's a difference between being broken, which is what you're you're talking about. People who are broken, who need the community, and who at the end of the day can be loved and will return love. They just will. I mean, that's that's the natural effect of being loved. You love and return. And people who hate community. There is a, there are people like that. I'm not talking here. It's every place. Go to Willow Creek. There are people that hate community. To hate the community, that's detrimental to community. That, in the early church, they would have said, you're not with us. But there are people who are broken. What's that? Right. It's different than being broken. What you're describing are people who are broken or who maybe are coming along the way in spiritual maturity. That, those are the kind of people we want. That's what every new member class is full of. Broken people who aren't spiritually mature. They're not going to give ten percent the first week. They're not going to come to church every Sunday, but that's okay. It's the people who, who are deceptive in their Christianity, insofar as they say, "I'm a Christian and I'm entitled to these things," and then work against community. Do you see the difference? Yeah, in many respects, it is. Well, that's true. That's right. mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah it's the fine balance between being long suffering and realizing that community is shattered more by a person being there that's what it comes down to but you but at the end of the day you know someone asked me the other day uh How long will the Lord keep working for my kid who doesn't want to come to church? Well, he never gives up unless you tell him, I want you to give up. I mean, that's Pharaoh's great sin. It says in the text, Jesus hardened his heart. But in the Hebrew, it's Jesus allowed his heart to be hardened, meaning Pharaoh begged for it and Jesus finally said, okay, I'll let you have it. There are people even in St. John who are like that. And the Lord doesn't give up until they finally say, I really don't want anything to do with you or with this place and the sad reality is Jesus sometimes says okay i'll let you have what you want. If you work against community in an active way, you're wanting something other than what Jesus wants. And you need to you need to be worried that maybe Jesus will finally say okay you can have that. That's the fear. Yeah, and this is no no no, that's that's not what i'm talking about. You, you you're taking you're taking a very formal understanding of what I, i'm just saying there are people who say all the time, if you do that again, I'm leaving. And sometimes you need to say, okay, if that's what you want. I don't mean excommunicating people. I'm not saying you didn't give 10% so you're all out of the church. What I'm saying is people come to you and say, or say to you, I can't believe you'd believe that stuff. I want to go someplace else. Maybe you should. If you're really going to be happier someplace else, maybe you should. Yeah, you, don't take what I said as let's look down the rolls and see who's being faithful, and if you're not, we're cutting you out. That's not it. It's people who tell you I don't want to be here, but then decide to remain, for whatever reason—selfish, unselfish—who cares? That's there's a difference there. Yeah. What else? That pretty much silenced the group. Yes. Then we should probably—we done at 10:15, ish? 10:20? Okay. Go ahead. Uh huh. And we've been talking about church and we've been trying to work towards that in our church and we talk about the liturgy. And yeah. And how,
4: like, for example, you said to Kirby that there's the, a the church in Palo Alto that vicar's want to go to, or it's
0: me. Right. And when I think about the teachings that we have and how we run our church and what you're just teaching your sheep, so it's. So. Right. When we travel and we go
4: somewhere, we actually have to try really, 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 really hard. Mm-hmm. Traditional like St. John. Right. The majority of the Missouri Synod Lutheran churches that at least we find when we go out there are more, I don't know if you want to call it liberal, but they don't necessarily stand by literary, liturgy and doctrine mm-hmm. and making it more about community and not just about you. Mm-hmm. Can you answer or speak to whether eventually there will be a schism in the Missouri Synod Lutheran church? because? Mm-hmm. Yeah. a lot of research on train train churches. And then you go to one and you sit there and it's like you 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 you. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of the the bibles was
0: Peterson, I guess wrote a book The message. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm looking in
4: this thing in the church and I was like, "What is this?" And it was just there there's a certain amount I, I was a little uncomfortable yeah. sitting in the pew. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's a big question. It is, but it's very simple. There are, uh, we've always, we always speak in these terms. Lex Orendi and Lex Credendi. You know Latin, don't you? The law of prayer, which specifically is the liturgy, which is just one long prayer. is the law of belief. So what you believe influences how you pray. And vice versa. How you pray influences what you believe. We have community with a number of folks on this level. Any Lutheran church that's Missouri Synod, you can say officially we have community on this level, the law of belief. We believe certain things. The problem is it doesn't always get played out in this level. Okay? So they get the lex credendi, but not always the law of prayer itself. To find the fullness of community, you need to find some place that has both. But to, but as long as but as long as you've got lex credendi, you at least are off to a decent start. Okay, you can be assured that there's some form of community there. Will this destroy the church? Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah. I mean. Uh, When David Scare was here, he said, yeah, the Gospels say the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, but that always means that hell will be knocking on the door. But that's very true. I mean, the gates of hell are always being shaken, even within the church. Now, hell won't prevail against it, but that doesn't mean there can't be some disruptions in the church. Will there be a Missouri Synod in 60 years or 80 years? I have no idea. Nagel once said... when Bruzik said, where do my kids go if there's no Missouri Synod, he said, someplace that has the liturgy. Because the law of prayer is the law of belief. And if you have the liturgy, you usually have the fullness of community. If you're missing the liturgy, you don't have the fullness of community. Okay? Okay? Mm-hmm.
2: hmm Mm And
0: kind of made that this story was in the Northern the you know, Right. Well, he's a pastor. That guy's a pastor. He actually went to, to Fort Wayne Seminary. If it's the guy I'm thinking of, he is, he is an ordained pastor. Um, and he's doing kind of outreach to the Muslims, which is a little different than if you just had a. A former Muslim, now Christian, leading services. Yeah, that's what I I read about it. Yeah. That's what
4: I interpret
0: it. Yeah. But this is the big thing. If you can find them both, you have the fullness of community. If not, then something's lacking and, um, you know, we just pray for them. Okay, so that's it for the year. Hopefully you had some fun. Uh, Next year, I, you know, I, I don't quite know what... I have a sense, I think it might be something along the lines of, a li- of Living Apologetic, maybe even N.T. Wright's book, Simply Christian, which some of you uh, may have or may have read already. But um, come back, you know, come back next, next fall and we'll have some fun. Okay? Any questions, final thoughts? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven.